0: Okay, confession time. In eighth grade, there was this boy, and his name was Jason B. And he was pretty cool. We had seventh grade language arts together, and we sat right next to each other. And he always made up excuses to talk to me. And I thought he was really, really funny, and I thought he was kind of cute, and I sort of liked him. And then one day, he slipped me a note, like, right as the teacher let out class, and then he bolted. And so I like slipped the note in my pocket, super ninja-like, and um, went on with my day, and then later when I was like, no one was there, I opened the note and I read it, and it was an undying confession of his true love to me. And he even included a poem that he had written That was all about my golden hair and my vivid blue eyes, and how he was gonna do, he he was like willing to do anything to win my heart, and he desperately wanted to be my boyfriend. And then he asked me if I would write him back and share my heart with him, and I did nothing. For seven consecutive days, I ignored Jason B. with all of my abilities. I deliberately walked a different way in the hallway so I would not run into him. I intentionally went the long way to my locker. I came in late to seventh grade language arts so I didn't, seventh period language arts, so I didn't have to see Jason B. because I did not wanna say anything about the awkwardness that was his undying love to me. And so finally, Seven days later, he cornered me in the hallway and I could not escape. And he said a whole bunch of mushy things to me about his deep love in person, locking eyes, and it was incredibly uncomfortable. And then he said, why didn't you write me back? And I didn't know what to say, so then he said, saying something, even if it's no, is better than this torture. And so I said, No, thank you. I don't like you. And then I turned and walked away. I know. I feel really bad about that. Like to this day, I don't know why I did that because I didn't dislike him. I really did like him and he he was funny and he was cute. And I feel horrible and I felt horrible for years, you guys. Like I would see him throughout all of high school and I would just remember that incredibly hurtful moment in eighth grade where I like shot him down hard for no particular reason. So just sorry to all the young men out there. I should have said something nice. Like I should have said something kind or something. I should have said something at all. But instead, I did nothing. But I I did look him up on Facebook today just to see um, how he's doing and and he did find love again. So that's good. And he's married, he has a cute little daughter so I guess he's moved on from me (laughs) at this point. So I tell you all this to ask the story to ask you a question. And that question is, What do you do when someone loves you? Like what is your response to a true and real profession of the heart like someone saying they really love you? And the reason I ask this question is because we have a God in heaven who is deeply and madly in love with you. You have a God that that is so concerned whether you know it or not, whether you know anything about him or not, that he would do anything to get your attention. And maybe you came here tonight because someone told you that you're going to have a chance to win a ton of gift cards and candy and caffeinated beverages, and that is true. And we are going to play this whole game in about 10 minutes to kind of go through, and and there will be winners that walk out with the total, I think it's like 50 pounds of sugariness plus gift cards. But that's all going to happen in a few minutes. But before we do that, I want to challenge each person to really think about that question. What is it that we do when someone professes true and real love to us? Because the greatest love story ever told is the story of God loving humanity. And not just God loving the whole world in a generic way, like God so loved everyone in a generic kind of lame way, but the greatest love story ever told is for God so loved personally and individually you. You. Like, insert your name here, God loves you. And the Bible teaches us very clearly that every single person on the planet makes mistakes. I don't need to have a whole point of a talk to explain that, but we all know that. We make mistakes, and those mistakes separate us from God. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3, for everyone has sinned, and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Sin is just a fancy church word for the idea of making mistakes. It's easy to realize that we're human, duh. It's easy to realize that we're not perfect. And I think we naturally know that mistakes somehow separate us from God. It causes us to feel like a distance. We instinctively realize that truth from the Bible. And that's where the verse, the next verse says, Romans 6, 23 says, for the wages of sin is death. The cost of sin is death, and we feel that. When we mess up so many times, we just feel like, "Ooh," because we realize something's happening at a soulish level, and humans just kind of tend to recognize that those mistakes somehow would separate us from God, separate us from perfection. However, because of God's great love for us, he doesn't expect us to be able to just fix that. He didn't leave humanity far away from him. Instead, he pursued us. He came after us. He said, I'll bridge the gap between divine God stuff and human stuff. I'll pursue it. I'll rescue humanity from their own mistakes. And so the rest of this Bible verse in Romans 6 goes on to say, for the cost of sin or the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, God paid the mistakes, paid the price for our mistakes because he loves us and he wants a relationship with us. And sometimes that word love seems like a little weird because Joe and Will, they use that word when they're talking about Chick-fil-A. They they will say that they love Chick-fil-A with a love so deep and passionate and true. They love Chick-fil-A. And so that's, you know, probably true, but it's not the same It's not the same meaning when we say God loves us. God loves us so much more truly than we can possibly love Chick-fil-A, but the Bible teaches us that God's love for us began long before we did anything to earn it or anything at all to lose it, and God's love for us exists even if we never do anything good at all. His love is so unconditional Romans chapter five in the Bible says, but Christ proved God's passionate love for us by dying in our place while we were still lost and ungodly, while we were of no use to him whatsoever. While we could do nothing, God loved us. And God does not love us for what he can get from us. God simply loves us. And this whole truth is completely different than what I grew up with. I grew up with religion, I grew up with rules. I grew up with, you better stop screwing up or you're probably going to hell. And I grew up with a priest at the church who, no matter what was happening, always looked pissed when he talked. He always looked like we were all like one tiny breath away from eternal damnation, and he wanted to make sure we felt it in his anger, in his voice. And that was my church experience. I had no idea as a kid that there was a chance that God actually loved me. I had no idea that there was a chance that that God cared about me. I thought I had to suck up to him so bad just to make it through that day to be worthy of breathing in church. And so when someone finally told me, hey, wait a second, God actually wants a friendship with you. God doesn't expect you to climb up to him. He actually came down from heaven to earth. God got got off the throne in heaven and put on humanity in the person of Jesus and came to earth to pursue friendship with people. He doesn't make us figure out how to be perfect to somehow deserve heaven. It's the complete opposite of everything I was ever taught. And when I finally heard that God wasn't mad at me, it completely changed my life. Because if you know, maybe, maybe don't hear God loves you because that's so watered down anymore. Maybe hear God delights in you. Delights in you. He actually likes you. He doesn't just love you because he's obligated. Like, he doesn't just tolerate you and put up with your annoying self. He, like, loves you and delights in you and likes you as a person. He thinks all your jokes are funny, Will, even though they're not. He, he like, really likes you. He, he did it on purpose. He made your person on purpose because he likes it. He's not tolerating and enduring you. And the second I understood that, it changed everything in my life. And I don't know what your church background is, maybe you grew up with a a strong religious background, but Jesus is not the same as religion. Religion is doing, doing, doing. Jesus is the doing is done. Jesus already did everything we need to have a friendship with God when he died on the cross to pay the price of our sins. So sometimes I think even the Bible, if you don't know how to read it, it can it can be confusing, it can leave you thinking, like I thought as a kid, that God is mad. And so I think it would be very helpful if we would add some emojis into the Bible, just to kind of give us a sense of how, with what emotion, we should read it. So I I created a few verses. I'd like you to take a look first at Lamentations chapter 3, verse 23. This is how I think it should be read. Like if God was trying to explain his emotion and send us a text, it would look something like this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. Heart eyes, kissy face, lots of hearts, smiley Your mercies never cease, exploding eye stars, big thumping heart. Great is his faithfulness, double high five, clapping. His mercies begin afresh each morning, fist bump, smile, cool. He wants you to know it's cool. He's cool with you because he's reached out to you to build this relationship. That's his heart towards us. And sometimes if we're not careful, we read the Bible and, and we get the impression that he's mad that he hates us, that we better suck up really hard or we're never ever gonna earn his favor or his love instead of recognizing he pours it out freely for us every day. So let's look at another famous verse, John three sixteen. This is how I think you should read John three sixteen. For God so loved, swishy heart, eye heart, kissy face, lots of hearts, the world, so much that he gave a gift, his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. Lots of smiley hearts at the end. Like God wants us to understand that he is thrilled to have us in his life. He is reaching out towards us with everything he has. And, and, and we have a response that we have to have. Now you might be thinking, okay, JL, that's great. God loves you. God loves some of the Christian kids that come here. But not me. Because I got some things that I've done that I wouldn't utter in a church. Like I'm just here for the candy and the Chick-fil-A gift card, that's cool. But, but when, I'm really, when I'm really honest about what's going on in my heart, I don't think there's any way that God could actually love me. Maybe it's because you have an addiction that just disgusts you. Maybe it's a temper that you feel like is shameful. Or maybe it's your sex life with your boyfriend or girlfriend that you've got going on or the lying to your parents or the smoking of weed or just the texting and driving and you know the risks and you're mad at yourself or maybe that if you talk horribly about people behind your back, but everybody's got their thing, their thing that they think, this thing stops God from being able to truly and authentically love me. And so we think that maybe that thing blocks God's love from from being relevant to us, but the Bible teaches us that no matter who we are, no matter what we've done, no matter where we've come from, that God's love is freely available as a gift to everyone. God loves you. It's that simple. And if you recognize the yuck and the funk inside of you, the Bible has a solution for that. In Isaiah chapter one, it says, God's speaking, he says, come. Let's reason together. Though your sins are red like scarlet, I can make them as white as snow, says the Lord. It's like God has a solution for our sin. And it's this idea of forgiveness. It's the idea of friendship with him. And you might be thinking, okay, well, JL, that sounds nice, but I probably have to do some religious stuff to earn that or to get to that level. Like, you really begin to understand that God loves you. You'll recognize you can't earn it, and you can't lose it. Like, a perfect example is Jesus is dying on the cross. Okay, so this is a crappy day, right? He's up on the cross. He's bleeding from his hands and his feet. He's bleeding from his side. He's got a crown of thorns shoved into his face. Bad, bad moment to ask for a favor. And there's two guys, one on his right and one on his left, that are being crucified along with them, And the one guy who is in the middle of dying turns to Jesus and simply says to his buddy who's kind of picking on Jesus, he's like, leave him alone. He hasn't done anything wrong. And then he says to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you get to paradise. Remember me in heaven today. And Jesus says, surely you will be with me today in paradise. This dude on the cross next to Jesus is literally going to do nothing right in his life. He has no chance of doing anything religious. He has no chance of doing anything to make up for his sins, none. Jesus doesn't look at him and say, moron, shut up. I'm busy right now, get down off that cross and do some religious stuff, and then I'll like you more. Jesus just promises him paradise. He just promises him eternity, why? Because Jesus' heart is to love, is to love the broken and hurting, and Jesus' love doesn't come with conditions is given freely. And so it doesn't matter who we are. It doesn't matter where we've been. We have a God who loves us. Now this verse in Zephaniah 3, it just blows my mind. Let me read it to you. It says, the Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you. He will rejoice over you with singing. And you can just read that and be like, oh, that's poetic. But if we really stop and think about what it means, it means the almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth, who's sitting on a throne in heaven, a throne carved from a single pearl, that's overlaid in gold, who's outfitted in thick royal robes of velvet purple, looks down upon a dusty, dirty planet called earth, and, and looks down and finds Grand Junction. And he finds a little tiny student center called 4640 and he, he like parts, parts everything to get a good look at you sitting on the couch. And he says, that's the one. I love that person. In fact, I love that person so much, I can't even sit still. I have to leap up, I have to sing a love song about them and lift my royal robes off the ground, and dance a dance of joy about that guy right there, talking about each one of us. That's a pretty impressive amount of love that God shows to his people. Guys, no matter who we are, no matter what we've done whether you feel like you've blown it a lot or you feel like you've been doing really good, there is nothing you could do to earn God's love more and nothing you could do to lose his love. And he brought you to this place not just to win a bunch of candy, but to give you the opportunity to hear this truth and to realize that God came to pursue your heart. He came to have a friendship and a relationship with you. In my life, the next time, after Jason B, the next time a guy told me that he loved me and wanted to be my boyfriend, I actually married that guy. And that's what you do. When someone gives you a declaration of love, you respond. Like you have a response to that. And so God has made a declaration of love to us, to all humanity. He said, I am madly in love, not just with the group of you, but the you, individual you. And he asks us to to respond to that declaration of love. And so just to create an opportunity for everyone in the room to, to have a response to that, I'd like to invite everyone to close their eyes for just a second and to just search themselves deep inside and ask yourself, when God declared, since God has declared his love to you, have you ever responded to that love? Have you ever said, Jesus, thanks for coming for me. I want, I need this friendship with you. You see, we can't just blow God off like I ignored Jason B. We have to respond to him. And that right now, tonight is that moment. And if you're in this room tonight and you're confident, you've responded to God's love with everyone's eyes closed and everyone's head bows, will you just lift up your hand? I know for sure I've already responded to God's love. I know for sure. I've already responded to the fact that God loves me. I'm in a friendship with him that affects me every day. It's great. It's so cool, put your hands down. There's many of you that raised your hands but the other half of you weren't, weren't sure that you could and I just wanna to talk to those people for just a moment. If you're here tonight, for whatever reason and you realize, man, I I have sinned, I've made those mistakes and I realize that separating me from God and I don't wanna be separated from God, I want friendship with him, then here's what you do. The Bible says that you choose then to make God the Lord of your life, the leader of your life. Another word would be the master of your life and you enter into a very real friendship with him where you connect with him more and more every day. But it begins tonight with an acknowledgement, I have sins and I believe Jesus loves me. I confess, I admit my sins to him and I ask him to forgive me and I begin this friendship with him with every head still lowered and every eye still closed, if you'd say, I want to do that tonight. I'm not sure I've done it before, but now tonight I want to acknowledge Jesus. I want to ask him to be the Lord of my life. No one's looking around. Would you lift up your hands so that we can pray together? I want to choose to acknowledge Jesus as the Lord of my life, as my savior. I know I've messed up and I need his forgiveness. It's awesome, you guys. I remember the first time I heard this truth, I was 15 years old and I was super afraid to raise my hand in this moment. And I just wanna encourage you, this is the commitment you're making. We're gonna pray this prayer together and I want you to pray it from the bottom of your heart with those who've raised their hands. Even if you are afraid, if you pray this prayer and you mean it, you have the same relationship with God that the rest of us have. So let's pray this out loud for the benefit of those who did raise their hand and wanna make this commitment. Dear Jesus, I know I've messed up in my life. I know I'm not perfect and I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I make you the Lord and leader of my life. I wanna get to know you Thank you for loving me. Help me to connect with you every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, I'm so proud of those of you who made that decision tonight. This is a life-changing thing, and an important thing is to let the person know that you came with or who, who invited you tonight or a blue team leader, one of the pastors here, that you made that decision so that we can support you in your relationship with God as it continues to grow. We're just glad you're here. Welcome.